Even though I did a lot of research on how to query into writing queries and agents, I probably should have spent more time researching on how to be a better writer <laughs> and hone my craft. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you are, please consider leaving a review on your podcast app or sharing the episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show with a couple bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Jen P. Wynn is the author of The Way to Game the Walk of Shame and Fake It Till You Break It. She was born in Mississippi, raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, go Saints, where she currently lives with her husband and high school sweetheart, along with their two wonderful, although slightly crazy kids. Jen fell in love with books in third grade and spent the rest of her school years reading through lunchtime and giving up recess to organize the school library, partially because the weather in New Orleans was always scorching, but mainly because she loved to be surrounded by books. Now Jen gets to spend her days reading, dreaming up YA romances, and binge-watching addicting Korean dramas, all in the name of research. So please welcome to the show, Jen Wynn. Hello! Hi! Glad to be here. So we are going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing, and how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Oh, well, like my bio says, I've always loved books. I've always liked to read them and I would spend time in the library all the time. But I actually was also a realist. I knew that publication being published was going to be very hard and it was not the most consistent job career. (laughs) So after high school, I actually started, um, I decided I was going to be a pharmacist. Most of my family all had medical field careers. So that was what I was going to do. I had a plan. But after a week after I started college, Hurricane Katrina hit Mm. and I was basically displaced. My whole family displaced and I kind of spent the next six months just taking random classes at a college in um, LSU in Baton Rouge while I waited for my university to reopen and my home to be reopened, I guess, to come back to New Orleans. And during that time was when I discovered fan fiction and role playing (laughs) (laughs) because I just had so much time on my hands. So whether it was Harry Potter or Twilight, or just some original stuff, I kind of fell in love with just making new characters and creating storylines. So even after everything reopened again, I kept continued doing that on the side. I mean, I still had, I would say, chemistry worksheets with like plot lines and character notes on the back of it that I jotted down during class. And I did that for about maybe two to three years. And after that was when I finally finished writing my very first book. So I decided to try to query it. And that was, I think, in 2008, just about. And that was the first book that I queried. Nice. Can you tell me a little bit more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be specifically a published author? Well, I knew that I always want to write when I think it was English class in seventh grade for Mr. Tiller, he assigned us Harry Potter. And one of his assignments was to write an original story in the voice of another character, basically 
fan fiction. Mm. And so I write, I wrote about Dudley at one of his birthday parties. And he actually, Mr. Toa actually chose me to read mine out loud. And he pointed out certain things like getting into the voice character's voice and the word choices I used. And I didn't even know I was doing any of that. I was just writing, but it made me realize that this was what I wanted to do. It was fun for me and I was very proud of it. And so I knew I wanted to try that. But like I said, you know, life gets difficult. (laughs) So once you decided to pursue publication, how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to go about it, how to write a query letter, all that kind of stuff? Well, I'm not the type of person who usually kind of goes with the flow anyway. I do a lot of research. So I did a lot of research. And it feels weird to say back then, but back then in like 2007, 2008, I would, it was completely different right now. Like I would research query letters and how to write it, but I would use, um, I think it was the writer's digest for agents, where it's like an actual book. Like it was really thick. And I would like go to Barnes and Nobles and get it. And I would like jot down every agent and their address so I could send them a snail mail (laughs) with the partial letters and stuff. It's so much easier now with like query tracker and the manuscript wish list. I mean, it was so difficult back then, but that's what I did for my first (laughs) book. And yeah, but I I would research the heck out of everybody, make sure I knew them and basically kind of cyber stalk them. And I would kind of fangirl if they mentioned that they liked a book that sounded like mine. But yeah, I basically just researched all over the internet. When was that, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, it was when I was querying the first book. So it was probably in the... And then back then, you know, they had those Writer's Digest books every year. So sometimes I would buy one at the half-price bookstore and it's like two years old. (laughs) (laughs) So it wasn't really the most up-to-date. So then I would have to write it down. I would look them up online and be like, oh, they're not working anymore. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So it was difficult. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. It, it feels so weird because it's like, oh, back then. But it, it didn't feel like that long ago. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think I went to the library and just I sat at the a table at the library because it was a reference book. So you couldn't check it out. Mm-hmm. You had to use it in the building. So I just sat at a table for like hours on end putting lists together so I could look up websites. Mm-hmm. Then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? Well, after I decided to query that book, it did not work. So I wrote another one. That one didn't work either. (laughs) Did you query the second one? Yes, I queried all of them. (laughs) My book that actually got published was actually my fifth book. Hmm. At the time, it was a young adult rom-com and it was called Love Contract. And that was the book that got my first agent. And that was also the book that got published. So I queried this one the same way. I sent it out. But then I also started entering like contests here and there to get like agent feedback or just get noticed. And one in particular that I entered was Cupid's Connection in 2014. I think they only did that for like maybe two years. And basically you post your first page and your query and then you see if you get any notice. And I actually did get a bunch of requests and I got two offers of representation. I went with the agent who seemed to understand the book more. We went through a round of edits and then we went on submission. But after a year of submission, it did not get picked up. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up breaking up with my agent because we didn't really see eye to eye on the next couple of projects. 
And so I kind of had to start over. So I already had a book I was starting. I was going to do the same thing since, you know, the contest seemed to be doing well for me. So I was going to do that with a new book. But I kind of didn't really want to let this book go because I was like, it went so far. It, you know, editors saw it. I did get some good feedback, just nothing, nothing came from it. So I was at Barnes and Nobles one day and I was just, you know, reading the books, just um, sitting there for a couple hours. And I ended up reading Sandy Hall's book, A Little Something Different. It was light and romantic and sweet and basically kind of like the same things I write. And it was published by Swoon Reads, which was a Macmillan imprint. And how they do is that they had a website where you can upload finished manuscripts and then they pick one to print. So I thought, hey, this could probably work for Love Contract because I knew I could not query with it anymore. It had gone on submission. It had been with agents. There was nothing I could do with it. It was either the best I could hope for at the time was getting picked up by agent for my new book and then showing her the old book. But, you know, like I said, it's been on submission. I didn't really think it would have a chance. So I uploaded on the site with like a week left before the deadline. And um, they're like, you know, oh, encourage your friends and family. So I asked a couple of friends and family to check it out and rate it. But I didn't like post it on social media or anything because no one I actually knew knew that I wrote books or was even interested in that. I, I don't know. I just didn't talk about it. And so no one actually knew I did it. So I didn't really want to make it a big thing because they'll ask me. And so it got love contract, got good ratings which I was very glad about, but it was nowhere near the top. I think it was like, it maybe cracked the top 20 of <laughs> books, but it wasn't, it wasn't up there. So I pretty much thought, you know, there's, there's no hope. But lo and behold, the day after the submission period ended, I got an email from them asking to talk. So they're like, oh, can you talk? I'm like, yes, I can talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> So I we set up a phone call and they called and I was talking to the editor and stuff and they wanted to offer for the book. That book love contract actually became the way to game the walk of shame. And my second book, Fake It Till You Break It, was also published by Swoon Reads. So to clarify and make sure I'm remembering correctly, Swoon Reads was kind of reader generated, like the, the rankings were determined by people who were visiting the site, right? Um, that's what I thought. And so that's why I didn't think that I would have a chance. But like I said, I wasn't in the top. I know one of the interns ended up reading my book as she just saw it and she brought it and she's like, hey, so it wasn't so much like popularity where, oh, if you get the top rating, you'll get published or you get the most, you'll get published. It was just, you'll get noticed better if you're close to the top, but they still pick and choose what they wanted or what they thought was good. Nice. I think that's great because a lot of times we think about publishing and people talk about publishing like it's a popularity contest. Mm -hmm. But even on the site where it was a literal popularity contest, because the right person who was one person noticed it, uh, it still got moved forward because it was still a good book, right? Yeah, that was actually one thing I really liked about them. I was picked, it's been a couple years, but I was picked with two or three other people and none of our books were in the top. 10 wow. barely so it wasn't like oh if you could get to the top you'll automatically get it no you still have to work at it you still have to do what you know everybody else does and make it a good book can you read your successful query letter for us i'm gonna read the query for fake it till you break it that's my second book 
Me and Jake have known each other their whole lives. They've endured summer vacations, Sunday brunches, even dentist visits together. Their mothers, who are best friends, are convinced that me and Jake would be the perfect couple, even though they can't stand to be in the same room. After Mia's mom turns away yet another cute boy, Mia and Jake decide they've had enough. Together, they hatch a plan to get their moms off their backs, permanently. All they have to do is pretend to date and then stage the worst breakup of all time, and then they'll be free. The only problem is maybe Jake and Mia don't hate each other as much as they once thought. So we have a enemies to lovers fake relationship, two of my favorite tropes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's funny how this the book because I came up with that book after I had my first son because uh, my husband's best friend he had a daughter and they were born within a month and a half of each other and my husband joked like oh yeah they're gonna get together mm. so I thought of the book and I wrote it and then right before a couple months before this book got published I had my second child which was a daughter and my best friend had her child a week after me and she had a boy wow so we're like constantly doing the same thing <laughs> right now. So that's why I, I always have a soft spot for this book. <laughs> so how's your experience been since signing your contract, especially were there any surprises along the way? Well, I feel like everything in publishing is a surprise. <laughs> um, like I said, I did a lot of research, but there's not a lot of research after the deal. Like people don't really talk about it. It's a mystery probably because everyone's different anyway. Like everyone goes through different things. So there's not a set normal road. Like I said, I like to do my research. I like to be prepared. So I was really worried about how to handle it. I, how to work with someone else to do my revisions, how to just do everything. But it was surprisingly smooth. We worked through the edit letters and a couple rounds of revisions. There were some things that they asked me to do or some edits or cuts. And we went back and forth, but it was relatively pretty easy, I want to say. Yeah, copy editors are a blessing, <laughs> most of my revisions, because one of them caught the fact that one of my character's eyes turned from brown to blue. <laughs> like in the end, which after like several, by this time, it went through several people's reading, several rounds for everybody, <laughs> and yet nobody caught this but them. So hats off to that. <laughs> one of the things that did surprise me was that when I wrote my second book, it wasn't easier. <laughs> I thought, oh, I got my first book written. I got it published. The second one should be a breeze. No, it's not. It was, I felt just as hard to write in different ways. I guess maybe the expectations of, oh, I did it once already. I should be able to do it again. Mm -hmm. Why does it look so bad? <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I'm still working on another book and I feel like this one is hard too. So that's kind of surprising. <laughs> But even, you call it your second book, but it was actually the sixth book you wrote, right? Yeah. So sixth completed, but second published. No, actually, I wrote one, another one in between the two published books that didn't get picked up. So I'm losing count. <laughs> like eight? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. It really has nothing to do with DNA. <laughs> I have to say that because I've had some scientists on the show and I just like, Disclaimer, it's just like classifications that we use when we talk about writers. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Plotter, definite plotter. I've tried to be a pantser. It has not worked. <laughs> and those books never go anywhere. I need to know where I'm going. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? 
I think I'm a little bit of an underwriter just because I feel like descriptions are my weak spot. Like I don't feel like I'm describing enough or everything. I'm better at dialogue. So sometimes I got to put stuff in to make sure the scene actually flows and it's not just all talking. Do you tend to write better in the morning or at night? Uh, right now, I am a write anytime the kids let me write. <laughs> <laughs> so if I can stay up at the middle of the night, I will write at night after they're asleep. Oftentimes, I kind of pass out. But more often than not, I also write in the car at the school's parking lot. I just sit in the car and just write. A lot of mothers say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you are starting with a new story, do you usually start with character first or plot or concept or something else? I usually go with a concept first, just like an idea. And then I'll work on the characters that would be well fit well in the idea. And then I go on the plot. So in that order. Do you prefer coffee or tea? I like tea, but it's more for the taste than the caffeine. Although I'm trying to learn how to be a coffee person because tea... I'm starting to learn I need caffeine. So I'm trying to be a coffee person. Sometimes it doesn't work, though. I don't know. <laughs> I never really drank a lot of coffee until I started working at Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And when you start, they make you do taste all these different things, and they do some pairings and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't know that. One of the things that really got me, uh, which I was surprised by, is a lot of coffees are really good with, like, lemon pound cake. Mm -hmm. I'm not usually a big lemon person, but I like those two together. And that's what kind of got me started. So hmm, That's interesting. I usually just drink whatever is coffee is in the fridge that my husband gets. Whenever you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Definitely sound. Um, I think silence distracts me more than anything. <laughs> so I always have to have some kind of uh, music in the background. Most of the time, I usually have Korean music mm. because... It's music in the background, but I don't understand the language, so I can't sing along. So it's enough, you know, it's just enough to keep me going. One of the worst things that I could listen to, though, is musicals, especially like Hamilton <laughs> or something. Musicals, I always try to sing along to it, and it, I, I don't get to writing, so I can't. I just, <laughs> I thought of, why do you write like you're running out of time? <laughs> yes. I was going to say, I would sing, but I'm like I said, I'm not good at it. Me neither. <laughs> but... You know, I can't help, but you can't help but listen to it. Mm -hmm. You can't just have it in the background. It's not a background kind of music. Yeah. When you are writing your first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? I am a get it right kind of person. For this last book, I tried to just get it down. Like, you know, people are like, just jot a note. If it's not right, just make a note here. I tried to do that, but it kind of like is in the back of my head and it kind of irks me. Like it's an itch. I'm like, no, that didn't sound right. Or I didn't have the right phrase and, or, you know, the feeling wasn't the emotions wasn't right in that one scene. And it's hard for me to continue. So I'm, I'm still working on it because, you know, I was like the first draft sucks anyway. So just get it down. But <laughs> I always tend to go back and fix it. So I'm more of a get it right. What tools or software do you use to draft? It's going to sound very old fashioned, but the only thing I use is Microsoft Word. <laughs> A lot of people say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like there's so many other things and it's cool, but I, it's too techy. I just type straight from my soft word. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Definitely revising. Like I said, it's hard for me to get the story down. I would much rather fix it than 
get it down from my head. It's, it's so much harder. But once I'm like, I guess maybe that's along with being the plotter in me. Like once I have the story, I know what I need to fix and I'll have a list. So it's easier to fix than to just create. Hmm. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? It's funny. I used to hop around, which is weird. Like back in, I guess maybe my other earlier books, I used to just hop around and just be like, well, I feel like writing this scene. I feel like writing that scene. But now I, I have to write in order. I try to, but I'm like, well, I don't know exactly how they're feeling in this chapter to get the emotions right. So I can't continue. Sometimes I'll hop around in the chapter. Like I'll write the ending of the chapter and then write the beginning and piece them together, but I can't really skip chapters anymore. I don't know why that changed, (laughs) but I just can't. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I am a definite introvert. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a lot of energy. I think a lot of some writers like this, I feel like they just, you know, even by themselves and stuff. I've always been like this, but I've gone to like writing conventions and it's so nice to be around people. But after all, I'm like, I just need to go back to my room and just be by myself and just sit there <laughs> and just not be around so many people. So I'm trying to be more open, but I'm, I'm more of a shy person. So We met at RT, right? I was going to say that. I was like, I don't know if you remembered. Um, you were signing next to me because our last names. <laughs> I remember, yeah. I think that was when I had my first book. And I feel like Jenny Han was sitting across from us or something. We met, but I wasn't sure if you remembered. It's been a while. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember. I am an extrovert, so I love meeting people. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that I know you like to be out and about. <laughs> yeah. So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, and we're going to talk about that second cue now. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey, and were they realized, or did you overcome them, or how did they shake out? I think one of the biggest worries I had was after I got published, like I said, I like to do my research and be prepared, but sometimes you just can't be prepared for everything that happens. So you just have to be open to things and kind of roll with it and adjust. Each publishing house is different. Each imprint is different, major, indie, um, even the two editors. So my two books I worked, I had at Swoon, I had two different editors for each one. And they were, even they were completely different. Their critique letters were different, their phone calls, their styles. And so I kind of had to adjust to the way they did things. And it it was a little difficult at times, but, you know, you just kind of had to do it. (laughs) So now we're going to talk about that third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? Well, um, I don't know how different it is, but usually when I start a new book or have an idea, then I always write a mock query, just like a short one, how the back of the book would look. And then I always make a character bio for all the main characters and supporting characters with pictures, actor pictures, and who would play them. Always. It doesn't, I I have a bunch for stories that I didn't even finish. They didn't go past the concept, but I know who's going to play them (laughs) in each of my books. And after that, then I work on the chapter outline. I think it helps me envision the characters better since I know exactly how they're going to look like, who's going to play them. And then after that, I always print it out. I don't necessarily really use it, but I always print it out and I have it next to me when I write. Before, like now, I just like keep another copy on my computer and I would just highlight the chapters that I wrote or I, I finish 
Uh, before, when I used to write, I would make a big old check mark next to every chapter. So just so be like, oh, there's so many check marks. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's like, my chapters always change. I think this last one, I'm like, I don't know how, but this chapter that I wrote the summary turned into three different chapters and it changes and evolves. But I always have to print it out, fix it, print it out and have it next to me. I think having a hard copy makes it feel more official to me. So that's one thing that I always do. Interesting, because I do something similar, but in Scrivener. So you're just kind mm -hmm. of doing like a real life Scrivener. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've actually file. tried to use that in for one of my books. I actually finished it and I did like it, but it was it was just too much, mm -hmm. <laughs> too much options, too many stuff to play with there. When you were kind of in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it after, you know, four books that didn't hit? My lowest point was right before I got the offer for Love Contract slash Waiting Game. So I kind of had to go back a couple of years first. I'm the youngest of four girls. And um, like I said, all of my family all are in the medical field, pharmacists, doctors, dentists. <laughs> and my sister, my third sister, Kanan, she's a doctor and she did her residency in New York. So the first year she was there, I visit her. And I remember walking in the rain with my little umbrella, walking around New York. And I went to, and I looked up and I went to HarperCollins. And I sat outside HarperCollins on a bench and like looked up at the building because they didn't let you in. Unless you had a clearance, you cannot go in. <laughs> but I remember I uh, walked there and I sat there and I just looked up and I was like, you know what? One day I'm going to walk in that building as a published author. And the next year, so she was there for four years. I came back every single year to visit. Mm. So the next year I did the same thing. I walked to Penguin. I sat there again <laughs> and I made the same vow. The year after that, Random House. Because at the time, Random House and Penguin wasn't together yet. They didn't merge. They're still separate. But I went there and made the same vow. So the fourth year, I went to the Flatiron Building where Macmillan was. But this time, it was different. Because this time when I went, I had just broken up with my agent. But at that time, I already submitted my book onto Swoon. But, you know, it was almost over. I was like on the 20th book or something. I didn't really think I was going to get chosen. And then I realized that my sister, you know, I came here every year and my sister was almost done with her residency. She had four years here. And I not only had not changed, I was back to where I started four years ago mm. when she was here and I made that vow to myself. So I kind of did not make a vow that year. I just was really disheartened and kind of just done. And I wanted to take a step back because I was just tired at that point. By then, I was like, I had to start over. I had to give up on this book I had been working on for so long. I felt like I kind of wanted to quit, but I knew I wasn't going to quit because I knew I wanted to keep on writing, but I knew that I needed a break. <laughs> it was just not working. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to... At the time, also that year, my husband, I just got married and my husband wanted me to focus on writing. So he wanted me to write full term, but it wasn't working. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a job. <laughs> I'm going to just do something else take a bit of a break and just come back when I'm just more refreshed and not feeling so down. But ironically, I went home. I remember I went home that Sunday. And then the very next day, which was Monday, I got the phone call from Swoon about the book deal. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, it was very ironic because when I talked to him, I was like, I was literally in New York the, yesterday. 
<laughs> and but you know, at that time they were like, Well, we were waiting for, you know, Monday to call you. So I'm like, Okay. Yeah. So it all ended up well. Wow. Well, that's great that you had your husband's support though too. That's really nice. Yeah. Do you feel like you made any mistakes along uh your journey into publication that you would like to share with the listeners? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Even though I did a lot of research on how to query into writing queries and agents, I probably should have spent more time researching on how to be a better writer (laughs) and hone my craft. Because, like I said, my very first book, I love it. It was the very first book I finished. I was able to finish. You know, I love my characters. I love my plot. But, oh, my God, it was so awful. And I like I feel bad when I think about how I queried it. <laughs> and I actually got one request, which was surprising. But it had every mistake in the book. Like, it's on the shelf now. I'm never taking it down. It'll stay on the shelf, but I'm never letting anybody read it. It had every mistake in the book. It was young adult, but it was 150,000 words. <laughs> it was a sequel. It had a prologue. <laughs> Uh, in the very first chapter, the main character woke up from a dream <laughs> and she looked in the mirror to describe herself. Like, that's literally, they're like, don't do this. <laughs> and I did it. Like I said, it was my very first book, but I should have did more research on that, on how to just being a better writer and learning more. And I still feel like I'm learning now. Mm-hmm. I love that you say that. So I, for my day job, I schedule writing workshops for a library system. And the business side of things always has way more interest than kind of the craft, more craft focused workshops. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just want to be like, maybe y'all should go to the craft workshops too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, you, it's actually, it's very important yeah. to learn all of that. I mean, everybody wants to jump ahead, but if it's not good, <laughs> like my book was, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I love craft workshops. I I'm really into masterclass lately. Mm-hmm. Margaret Atwood has a pretty good good one, and I can't remember his name right now, but he's a big uh, thriller author. His is really good, and then they just announced N.K. Jemison has one, so I'm looking for. Oh, to that really? One I've yeah. been meaning to kind of look into more stuff like that, but I just hadn't had the time to. Mm-hmm. We have access through work, so that's how I have it. Yeah, I uh, I bought for the Write On Con. I bought the. The subscription so I could watch it later on because obviously I couldn't watch it that week and I only got through half of what I wanted to because you know I, I just hadn't had time to although I had time to like read you know watch and read all of Bridgerton books <laughs> but <laughs> somehow that happened but you know there's no time <laughs> can you share with us one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication I think, I mean, it kind of sounds typical when I say it, but I really do think just keep writing. You know, don't ever think it's the end, even if this book doesn't get picked up. Um, you can learn from it. Like I said, I I learned from each of my books. Like I had five, like I said, I have five books, four before I got published, and then through one in between. And I feel like I learned a little bit more from every single one of them, like how to be a writer. Because in the beginning, I feel like I was still trying to find my voice and my genre. So it's it was a lot of experimenting and trying to figure things out. Like my first book was a uh, young adult time travel, uh, 150 monstrosity. <laughs> and then the second was a kind of younger, young adult fairy tale romance. 
Um, my third was a young adult historical fiction. And the fourth was a young adult contemporary. So obviously I knew I love young adult. Mm-hmm. I knew that's where I was going to be. But it took me a little while to figure out exactly what I was good at and what I needed more help with. So I realized that I was better with contemporary rather than like the historicals or fantasies or anything like that. It's I feel like that has too much open end. Like for me, it's like it's too much to decide. There's there's too much. So I can't I like to stick in the contemporary world. And I kind of was able to kind of learn to make deeper plots and subplots and better characters and, you know, hopefully witty dialogue (laughs) and just grow with that. So like it's not a waste. Whatever you do is not a waste. Nice. I love that. I call this the acknowledgement portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people or organizations even who helped you along the way and how? So I mentioned my husband. He really supports me in my writing. But it's very ironic because he also does not read anything that I write. He'll recommend me to everybody. But when they ask him, what does your wife write? I'm not sure. <laughs> She's like, but buy her book. And he actually hasn't even read my the acknowledgments in my book, even though he's in it, which is kind of rude. I, I've read, I think I had to read it out loud to him. <laughs> he just doesn't read. But uh, my family, the uh, most part, um, like I said, I didn't really let people know that I was writing um, because, like I said, my sisters, everybody was in the medical field. I didn't know how they would react to my writing but they've all been very supportive my sisters all very supportive my dad my mom and dad especially uh, my dad actually thinks he's himself a little bit of a writer too so he always liked that part of me obviously there's other people you know like if you can get an agent or your editor and publisher but um, I feel like it's often important to have critique partners and beta readers but also a group of just writing friends because as much as I love all the people in my real life, they don't understand what I'm talking about when I'm like, this character will not do what I want her to do. <laughs> or, you know, it's just you need someone in your group who understands what you're going through, even if they're writing different genres from you. You know, they kind of understand and just someone to rant with or a shoulder to cry on. So I have three in particular who I talk to, if not every day, almost every day about. Um, I met like over the years. Shawnee, she was published with Swoon Reads also. So I talked to her a lot because she went through that exact thing with me. And, you know, she kind of knows everything. She kind of writes a YA rom-com too. And then I also have Shada, who I met on Absolute Right, one of those critique partner things over the years. And then Rachel, who I met on, I think it was just a call for beta readers or critique partners on Twitter randomly one day. It was just, I just found them at different spots and they just talked to me. We're all different though. Like, you know, one writes fantasy, one writes adult, one does self-publishing, but we all understand each other. And so they're there for me to complain with. They help me with plot holes or even just complain about staying up to write, not being able to stay up, drink coffee. (laughs) So I feel like you need a support group. So since we already heard about Fake It Till You Break It, do you want to tell listeners about the way to game the walk of shame too? Two trash reputations, one love contract, zero regrets. Taylor Simmons is screwed. Things were bad enough when her dedication to her studies earned her the title of Ice Queen. 
But after she gets drunk at a party and wakes up next to bad boy surfer Evan McKinley, the entire school seems intent on tearing Taylor down with mockery and gossip. Desperate to salvage her reputation, Taylor persuades Evan to pretend they're in a serious romantic relationship. After all, it's better to be the girl who tames the wild surfer than just another notch on his surfboard. Nice. All right. Well, Jen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Jen's query in the show notes, along with the links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on your podcast app, tell your friends, or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show with a couple bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. If you're enjoying this show, please check out Pub Talk Live. Pub Talk Live is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, but it is also syndicated as a podcast. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live that features casual chats with literary agents with the intention of helping writers get to know the agents a little bit better. Check out both on YouTube or the podcast app of your preference.